I just went through this just recently, looking at different areas of my life and being like, you know, I need to stop doing that. Not because it's bad, but because it's actually diminishing my joy by doing it. And that is a necessary part of walking with Jesus. That ability to look at our lives and say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do in this season that I might be vibrant, that I might be radiant in you? Self-reflection is usually a very good thing. It helps you think through how you're really doing and if there are areas of your life that you need to change. Well, today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to take a good look at your life so that you can see if the choices you're making are enabling you to live the full life that God wants you to have. Jesus wants you to live the rich and joy-filled life He came to give you. He doesn't want you to settle for less. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 12 as he continues his message, Stay the Course. For the people in Jerusalem, you know, the the temple that was there was the center of their religious life and the center of their public life. And so right away, we we are reminded of the fact that in order for the spiritual well-being of the community, you need those those strong gatherings. And so really, there's a simple principle here because, you know, they have these storerooms that people could bring their their gifts, their generosity. And and the simple principle is, is that generosity keeps us spiritually fit. Generosity keeps us spiritually fit. Now, we talked about this in our last message together because we did see this principle of the first fruits. And I spent some time talking about it, so I don't want to kind of belabor it here today. But I believe that generosity, and not only speaking of financial generosity, but just generosity of time, of, of using your gifts and talents, it keeps us spiritually fit. And to be honest with you, I believe it is one of the greatest markers of spiritual maturity. Because we're never more like God than when we're generous. I mean, if you think about it, God gave his only son for me. And so, like, God gave that which was most valuable to himself. And in the same way, what I am constantly learning, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this message about what a scary step of faith it was to start being financially generous and serving and all these things and how much energy it takes to continue to do it, especially in our culture, because the reason financial generosity is so important and it does keep us spiritually fit is because we are in a constant battle to remember what is the source of our lives and where our resources come from. Like, we all have, we have jobs, and, and like you go to your job, and you're like, my, so you're like my, my career is what provides for me wrong. God provides for you by giving you breath in your lungs and giving you gifts and talents and passions. And then you apply those things to a job. And the resources that are generated from that are actually not from us and from our job, but they're from the Lord. But if we don't remember that, then we think it's from us, and then we develop anxiety about all these things. Right? And so the first battle is to remember, where is our source? God is our source. Second, it's a constant reminder that, remember how he said it's one thing to start doing, it's another thing to keep doing it? 
right? It's like we have a need a continual reminder. I need a continual reminder that it's actually not about what I do. It's about what the Lord does. And I'm constantly reminded of the book of Genesis, the creation of all things. Remember God created humans on what? The sixth day. What happened on the seventh day? God rested. Was it because God was exhausted? No. Why was the first things that Adam experienced was rest? Because he needed to learn that he doesn't have to work for everything. He starts by resting. And what's amazing is you read in Genesis chapter 3, the curse of Adam and, on Adam and Eve because they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam's curse was anxiety over work, hard work. Right, And so what you realize is that part of the way Jesus wants to recreate humanity is he wants us to learn that it's not all dependent upon us. And so generosity is one of the spiritual disciplines that God gives us to keep us spiritually fit. I can always tell how someone's walk with Jesus is based on their generosity. You can tell when someone's struggling because they stopped being generous the way they used to be. Isn't it the truth? Now, I don't know what anyone gives at Crossroads, just so you know. But I do know that when I start doubting the reality of God, God's provision, then I start getting worried about being generous. That's what I know. I'm like, man, I, got, I, have, to, I have to be careful with this. Whereas at times when you're just trusting the Lord, like, oh, man, no big deal. Like, it's fine. God's got this. And so we see that the children of Israel are being reminded, hey, we, we, these storehouses need to be emptied out and need to be ready to go because people are going to be generous. And, of course, this reminds me of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, where Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is saying here is that, we have to make sure that we do not live our lives and set our treasures on things that the natural course of life this side of eternity can diminish what your treasure is. Like moth and rust are two very natural things that can diminish the value of something. Like uh, when I was growing up, I collected baseball cards, right? Now, how many of you wish you still had the baseball cards that you collected when you were kids? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, me, right? My dad used to tell me about that. He used to have all, my dad grew up in Brooklyn. He had all the Brooklyn Dodgers. Like, I used to put them in my bicycle spokes. I want to slap them. You know, I'm like, dude, you, you, you're going to retired with those kind of cards if they're in mint condition. But again, it's like, but if your treasure's in the baseball cards, it's like, from a value perspective, a baseball card with a crease in the middle is not nearly as valuable as one in perfect condition. Maybe she's like, man, I've been collecting precious metals because I've always wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> right? But, like, the thing is, is that, like, if you're not careful where you put those things, they can start to diminish their value because of the elements of the nature. Where rust, rust can come on in, remember? I talked about my, my, my VW. If my treasure's in my car, and listen, we all like driving, right? But the thing is, is that, like, once that thing gets a nick, then, like, you don't want to live your life with your treasure getting a nick. You need an eternal perspective. Same thing with moth. Now, maybe, I mean, how many of you remember mothballs? Yeah, I don't know. Do they still have mothballs anymore? I don't think so. They probably have better ways to get. But, you know, like the idea, if you get moths in your closet, it's like you lose your clothes. 
right? I remember we used to go to my aunt's house growing up, and it would always have that mothball smell. And I'm like, what's up with that smell? And my mom was like, it was mothballs. I'm like, we don't, why don't we have that smell? She's like, we don't use mothballs. I'm like, good. It's the natural ways that things get diminished in their values. And really what he's saying is that in a world where you're going to have cars and you're going to have clothes and you want to keep the things in good shape and you're going to want to have these things, make sure your treasure isn't there. You can enjoy them, but it's not a worthy place for your treasure. And so much of what Jesus wants to do is he wants to refocus us on the big things, the eternal things. So generosity is what keeps us spiritually fit because it constantly reminds us my life is more than the stuff. My life is more than the tile in the kitchen. My life is more than this thing. That there's an eternity and, and Jesus is always focusing us in that way. Now, we're going to move on to Nehemiah chapter 13 now, the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And really what's going to happen now is we're going to see that there are still a number of areas where the children of Israel are fighting to maintain what God is doing in their midst. That they've, they've achieved so much, but that mission creep, that, that loss of focus is going to begin to kind of eat away at what God has been doing. So as we move into the last chapter, it's kind of a bummer what's going on, isn't it? Like, you realize that right away that there's all of these issues. And, and, it's, and this is kind of the way life works. I don't know about you. I'm always like, man, once I get there, everything's going to work perfectly. Am I the only one who thinks that way? And then you get there, and does it work perfectly? No. And it's, the Bible's so honest because, like, man, they're celebrating the walls, and they got the storehouses cleared out, and they're ready to live life. And then sure enough, they're reading the law, and they realize, oh, we weren't supposed to be intermingling with these folks here. And oh, oh yeah, and then there's this guy named Tobiah who has been one of the, the, the enemies of all this work. And oh, the, the high priest gave him a room right in the, in, in the temple courts, and he's just hanging out in there. You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah, and then we're supposed to honor the Sabbath, and the reason they... God sent us into exile was because we didn't keep the Sabbath. And then sure enough, I go away and I come back and everyone's partying on the Sabbath. No big deal. I mean, it's just the Sabbath. And Nehemiah has to re-engage in leadership to try and help fix what's starting to fall apart. Now, what does this teach us? My friends, continual improvement is necessary. This is not only true for Nehemiah, but this is true for our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you need improvement on your salvation right? Our salvation is perfectly bought for us by Jesus on the cross. He did the work. Our justification is perfect in Jesus. But once we are justified by faith in Jesus because of his finished work, then the sanctification process begins, which is the process of you and I experiencing what it means to be justified in real time at street level in all the areas of our life. And I'm here to tell you, Sanctification is a process that we're all in every single day of our journey with Jesus until he comes back or he calls us home. And I'm here to tell you, in the sanctification process, continual improvement is necessary. So sometimes people argue about this distinction. They're like, well, I'm perfect in Jesus. I'm like, yes, in Jesus you are perfect, but your experience of your life in Jesus is imperfect until you get to go home to be with him. So you have to keep working on it. So it's not salvation by works. It's actually you're justified by faith in Jesus. You're also sanctified by faith in Jesus. But when you are sanctified by faith in Jesus, it causes you to make different decisions. 
When you trust Jesus, you make different decisions. Just like when you said yes to Jesus, that was a different decision than you ever made before. In the same way, your growth in Jesus, you do it by faith in Jesus, but it causes you to make different decisions. And that's exactly what we see Nehemiah doing here. There are different areas that are kind of coming up. And Nehemiah is like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're not having Tobiah living in the temple. No way. And I, you got to love that. Tobiah goes and throws all of his stuff out of the temple. Can you imagine? Like, don't you think Nehemiah is the man? Like, he's just taking the toaster, throwing it out of the temple. Taking his bed, getting that thing out of there. Taking, you know, just tossing the stuff out of there. And you can imagine everyone be like, Nehemiah, chill, bro. Like, he's just houseless. We just gave him a place to live. And Nehemiah's like, no, just tossing it. And then, of course, the violating of the Sabbath. Like, Nehemiah's like, we're shutting the gates. Listen, it's just the Sabbath. We need to eat. They're not one of us. They're coming from the outside. Like, they have business. It's okay. And then Nehemiah's like, shut the gate. And he's like, tells him, like, why are you guys hanging out there? If you guys are here tomorrow, I'm going to lay hands on you. Ron Jefferson, our safety team, wrote that verse down. You better move. I'm going to lay hands on you. He's not talking about giving him a pat on the... He's like, man, I'm going I'm I'm to physically run you out of here. And I know we have a tendency, we read this stuff in the Bible, we're like, wow, like, Nehemiah is serious. But then don't ever forget that Jesus was so incensed that the, the way that the temple was being defamed in his day, that he literally overturned tables. Gentle, loving Jesus. Now... I say all this to remind everybody that if you think you're supposed to overturn tables everywhere you go, it's probably not because you're like Jesus. You have anger management problems. <laughs> I got to say that because I was like, I got the zeal of Jesus. I'm like, not really. Me no think so. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah, it's like, but realistically, what we all learn here is that we just got to keep working on it. And I'm here to tell you, listen, the beauty of life on this side of eternity is you got to just keep working on it. Like, you restore a car, you got to keep fixing things to keep it working right. Nice. You, you restore your marriage, you got to keep working and growing in it. You do things to make your health better, you just got to keep working on it. It's not like your health gets better, you're like, okay, I'm 100%, I can go, doesn't matter what I do. No, you got to keep working on it. If you're walking with Jesus, guess what? Got to keep working on it. What's the state of my soul right now? Where am I? What do I need to start doing again that I've stopped doing? What do I need to stop doing that I've started? What is distracting me? What is causing me to lose my joy? You know, I just went through this just recently, looking at different areas of my life and being like, you know, I need to stop doing that. Not because it's bad, but because it's actually diminishing my joy by doing it. And that is a necessary part of walking with Jesus. That ability to look at our lives and say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do in this season that I might be vibrant, that I might be radiant in you? It reminds me, of course, of James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good but does not do it, to him it is sin. And in all of these different cases, it was like, this is the right thing to do. Never said that someone should be living in the temple courts. It, it, like, it, it never said that the Levites should have to go back to their fields 
So they're, they're distracted from the work that they're doing. It never said that they're supposed to be selling things on the Sabbath day. So like, oh, this is what we know to do, so let's go do it. And that's true, I think, for all of our lives. All of our lives. And I'll be honest, my greatest hope for all of us and my great joy of what God is doing here in the Crossroads family is that we realize that everyone's in process. We realize that there's things that God is wanting to do in each one of us. And what does it look like to make space for us to do that? There are times when I'm like, man, I need to focus on my relationships. Times when, hey, I need to focus on my physical health. There's times I need to focus on my worship. Times I need to focus on my Bible reading. I need to focus on my generosity. I, I, I need to step away from this so that I can focus on this. I need to step into this. And when we realize that all that God cares about is that we take those steps of faith that he's asking us to take, it becomes pretty simple, doesn't it? There's been a, a phrase that's been kicking around in my head for the last couple weeks where I felt like I was praying about something and the Lord said, Daniel, it's that simple. Because I was making something complicated in my head. I said, Daniel, it's that simple. It's not complicated. Do what you know you're supposed to do. It's that simple. And I think that for a lot of us, we just need to be reminded, it is that simple. God's plan for you is not complicated. It's simple. You love him. You love people. You do unto others as you wish that they would do unto you. You love, bless, do good, and pray, no matter what the other person is like. Beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's so simple. But every single day we need that Stepping into that. Stepping into that. Stepping into that. Okay, there's one more step for us to take. We're going to read. We're going to close out the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 13, verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some, of, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthoods and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each of it to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. So it's kind of an amazing, like, it's amazing that the book of Nehemiah ends here, doesn't it? Where really what's going down here, and we've talked about this because we've looked at this in some different places already in the book of Nehemiah, is that the problem with when you are in marriage, intermarriage, is that 
a person who is married exerts tremendous influence over your life. And really what God is the most interested in is that who influences your life. I was just talking to someone about this, about the legalization of, uh, of marijuana. And they're like, man, Daniel, like, like, as Christians, why should we care? I'm like, well, because God absolutely cares what is the influence in your life. The Bible says we should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, period. And any competing influence is a problem. And so really what we learn in this section, once again, is that if you want to not only be restored, but you want to stay restored, consecration is the key. Being set apart. And that's exactly what the point of this is. It's like, we need to be set apart so that we can be the people of God. And all through the life, you read all of church history. And if you have never read a book of church history, I want to encourage you to do this. Because everything we're seeing in our culture today, this is not new at all. Whether it's the church aligned with a nation's politics, <laughs> that's as old as Christianity. Whether it's the church and how it interfaces with the world in which it lives. God always wants us to have a singular allegiance set apart to him alone. And any time the church in its history has not had its allegiance only to the Lord, there's always problems. Always. There's always a view of who Jesus is and what he's done that is not an honest testimony of who he is and what he's done. And so for us, when you read church history, what you realize is that the church always struggles. Where is our place within the world in which we live? And what we constantly learn from the Bible, different cultures, different generations, is that one thing is always exactly the same. The church needs to know that their allegiance is to Jesus and Jesus alone and nothing else. Plain and simple. And anytime there is any sort of mixture within it, we end up with something that in the name of Jesus is so much less than Christianity. And when that happens, the church loses its saltiness, as Jesus spoke of. It loses its ability to season the world in the name of Jesus. And for you and for me, like Nehemiah, we have to learn how to be passionate about ourselves being set apart. Because I'm here to tell you, you can't set anybody else apart. This has been a, 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 it's a great lesson that I'm constantly learning. Because as a pastor, there are times when you want to fix everybody. And there are times when people want you to fix them. And what I'm constantly learning is I can't fix anybody. Whether they want me to or not. The only thing I can do is point them to Jesus and say, Jesus, what does Jesus have? What would he have for you? Jesus is real. God never meant for your relationship with him to be hard. It's not supposed to be complicated or devastating. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Because of Jesus, following the Lord brings you peace, hope, and freedom. It's meant to be a blessing for you and the people in your life. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that the things that God asks of us aren't complicated. They're simple. It all goes back to loving God, loving people, and doing things that flesh out these realities in your life. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. 
I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this series called Honest, all about how God restored the city of Jerusalem after the Israelites were exiled. Throughout this series, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to take an honest look at where you are and urged you to simply respond to Jesus and what he's asking you to do next. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.